All righty, everyone, welcome. It is 7.05, so we are going to get started. We just want to say a warm welcome to each and every one of you, whether you're joining us here tonight live on Zoom, or you'll be watching this later on YouTube, which I know for a lot of people, it's um, a little bit hard to, to come live. So we also want to welcome those who join later. Um, we are Mana Ministry. We are a ministry that has been going on for several years now, but this most recent series we've been doing has been on mental health. It's entitled Truth Prescriptions, and we've had about six or seven episodes already. Time has just flown by, but we are so excited to continue in this mental health series. And we just want to encourage you all that if you have Instagram to follow us on Instagram, uh, we post all of our flyers on Instagram, and so it's a great way to stay updated. Also, if you don't have Instagram, another great um, place to stay updated on specifically our YouTube videos, our uploads, um, we encourage you to subscribe on YouTube. And that's really helpful because you get notifications whenever there's a, a video that's uploaded. And then we really want to encourage you to share these videos with a friend. And that's not just for the sake of, you know, continuing to distribute this material, but it's really for the sake of these are really practical tips for people who are struggling with mental health or know somebody who's struggling. So that includes everyone, right? There, there is such a high prevalence of mental health difficulties now and continuing to increase day by day. And so we encourage you to share it with a friend. You may not even know if they struggle to share it, right? Because it's so practical and so helpful. Um, before we begin, we always like to have a disclaimer. And But before I do, I forgot one thing. I forgot to introduce myself and my my lovely co-host as well. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a clinical psychologist. And, and joining I'm, me, I'm Chriselle Olasaran. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Thank you for joining us. Yes. And we are your hosts. And week by week, or bi-weekly, I should say, we have the privilege of leading out in these really, really awesome topics. Um, but before we do begin, we'd like to mention the disclaimer um, that the intent of this series is not to provide nor be a substitute for professional advice, um, diagnosis or treatment, really. Um, the purpose of this series is to be to emphasize the spiritual guidance of how to use the Bible as a practical guide for one's mental well-being. So we did an episode on the Bible being our GPS to navigating our mental health and our overall life. And that's what we're really emphasizing. So if you do have questions regarding your mental health, we encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional or to another qualified provider. Yes, and continuing with the disclaimer, if you are in a crisis or any emergency related to your mental health, we do encourage you to call the number on the screen here, 1-800-273-TALK, specifically if you're having any suicidal thoughts. Or also you can um, contact any other number in regards to having any struggles with mental health. Yes. All right. And so today, Kusal, do you want to introduce our study? Yes. So every week or bi-weekly, I get used to saying weekly, <laughs> we have a new topic, but it's all related to mental health. And so what's unique about this particular week and this study is that we're going to be investigating a case study. Yes. And so for those who don't know, when it comes to mental health, oftentimes when we have a patient, 
they come into the room and we think of them in terms of how do we conceptualize their diagnosis, their treatment, their whole mental health. And so we're going to be actually having a case study on a particular person from the Bible itself. So instead of us presenting information related to a topic, we're going to take the information we've learned thus far and apply it to the Bible and continue to learn a little bit more. So more specifically, our case study is going to be on the topic of mental health of depression and lifestyle. So before we begin, like we have every bi-weekly, <laughs> we have our icebreaker question. And so for the viewers who are watching at this current time, if you'd like to share your name and the answer to this question, or if you're watching us at another time, we encourage you to participate as well. So here's the icebreaker question. What do you believe is one of the most effective behaviors in reducing depression? Most effective behaviors in reducing depression. Take a moment to think about your answer. When you're ready, feel free to share. I think Katie was ready. No, I was just going to say, and, you know, feel free to, to message in the group chat. Mm -hmm. But I can go. My name is Katie, as you all already know. And one of the most effective behaviors in reducing depression that I've seen with my clients has been, has been uh, exercise. One of the, the number one go-to that I would say kind of biggest bang for your buck, right? You really see a lot of improvement with exercise. Hmm. So that means no one else can say exercise. <laughs> Katie, you've already taken exercise. Okay, well, my name, as I said earlier, is Chriselle. And there are multiple behaviors that help with reducing depression, which we will discuss later. But in terms of the most effective, I think I may be biased considering I am a marriage and family therapist, but I've noticed that social support and social integration play a huge factor when it comes to depression. Sometimes those who are suffering from depression, they surround themselves with a negative atmosphere, whether that might be just by themselves in isolation or just around people who don't uplift them. And when that changes, it really turns everything around in their life. Very true. Yeah, social support is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And I know that for um, for from our study last time, we emphasized several um, already behaviors. And so, um, as some of our viewers are shy and, and not writing their responses quite yet, I will um, mention a couple of other ones that we discussed. So, just as a reminder, um, we. Our last episode was entitled Emotion, and we talked about how emotion changes emotion, right? So the idea that behaviors, what we do, impacts how we feel. And so we outlined a couple of different behaviors. We did talk about briefly exercise. We talked about diet. We talked about social support. So what are some other, other behaviors that we mentioned? Of course, not being a comprehensive list, but a general idea. Okay, well, let's see. Let's jog my memory here. I believe we mentioned sleep. Yes, and actually we have a viewer who just um, typed, my name is Robert, good sleep and good diet. So mm -hmm. he's emphasizing that those are the two, one of the two most effective ones. Yes, definitely. 
trying to remember. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to um, differentiate between the ones that we're highlighting today <laughs> and then the ones that we highlighted two weeks ago. Yes. Um, gratitude. Sleep, diet, gratitude. Yes, we talked about gratitude. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is a behavior I think oftentimes we don't reflect on as being something to engage in. We just think of, oh, that's a oh, that person's very grateful. Mm-hmm. Says, what do you do to actively be grateful? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talked about reducing negative behaviors. Remember the importance of how if we are engaging in unhealthy behaviors, it's really hard to engage in the healthy behaviors that we want because we're often overstimulated or um, our dopamine hits so high that we're not motivated to actually engage in other things like being out in nature or drinking water and so forth. Hmm. So um, just as a reminder also, um, the reason behind behaviors, someone just messaged in, Chris, you want to read that for us? Some good gospel music can do the trick too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Music uh, plays a piece. Yes, listening to music. Yes, it also depends on what type of music. Mm-hmm. So the, the most recommended is classical music, right? Definitely does soothe the nerves. Um, but the premise behind all of this is really um, the impact baby behaviors have on our neurotransmitters, right? Our brain chemicals. It's not just things that we do, but it's the things that we do impact how we feel in regards to our neurotransmitters, our chemical, right? We often use about medication, but it's imbalanced. But our neurochemicals, um, can also be impacted by what we do. So, so what were a couple of quick tips that um, we had about certain things that impact certain neurotransmitters? Well, from what I remember, if you're struggling with serotonin levels or you're not struggling, but you want to prevent having any crisis when it comes to depression, there's certain low serotonin yes, levels. Low, low serotonin levels, yes. Um, there's some certain foods in your diet that you can implement such as bananas. There's also, a, what was it? I mispronounced it in the last one. Triophatine? Tryptophan. <laughs> Tryptophan. No, I think it sounds quite different. <laughs> Tryptophan, uh, which we get from our vegetables and our fruits that uh, helps us to produce serotonin. Yes, especially with our omega, omega-3s, right? Our yes, C-3s. our omega-3s. And then endorphins, which we see here, I think that's more commonly known as something that we have and we experience when we have exercise. So you get those endorphins in and you have this natural high, that's what they call it, endorphins, yes. Yeah, so basically we just wanted to quickly review that because as we talk more in depth about depression and these behaviors, we can think about how God prescribed certain things because he knew, right? And of course, if he created the mind and the brain, he would know these things. Um, and so these are not just things simply that we should do or that he prescribes for this biblical character, but that they had a direct impact on this individual's depression. All right, Crystal, should we jump right into our study for today? Yes. Do we have the triangle? just to reiterate the point and so they can understand how we're approaching this case study? Yes, we can leave up the triangle for a little bit and then also 
pray before we begin. Okay. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God in heaven, Lord, we ask at this moment, as we specifically take the time to read your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us the understanding that we need from the story that we're going to study at this moment. But most importantly, Lord, help us to, to see the points in the story that we can change in our own lives. Change is hard and uncomfortable, but if we truly want to reap the benefits that you have here in your word, Lord, we need to follow your guidelines, Lord. And we do ask also for the viewers who are watching, help them. I don't know exactly what things they may be going through in their mental health, but I ask that you help them and guide them um, in their walk and also most importantly in their walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so for those who were not watching the previous episode or who did watch it, either way, we want to review this triangle because from here on out, our episodes are really going to be focusing on each component of this triangle. We're starting first with behaviors because as Katie said, behaviors are the quickest way to have a direct impact on your triangle. But you can also have an impact through your thoughts and your feelings, etc. But we're going to focus right now on behaviors and we're going to go into a story within the Bible of someone who struggled with particular behaviors that was related to their experience of depression. Right, Katie? So from here on out, just remember that as we focus on behaviors, we're eventually going to go into thoughts and eventually go into feelings and our overall goal is for all of us, our take-home goal is for all of us to understand the interactive role of each of these three components. And to add to that, that CBT and these this triangle and this interconnection, right, is that it teaches us that we can't control every aspect of our environment. We can't. We would like to, but we can't. Therefore, we know that we can control how we interpret or deal with our environment, which is we do have control over our behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. We'll see how this biblical character did not have control over certain things in his life, but he did have control over his behaviors, feelings, and thoughts. And God intervened specifically in regards to behaviors to help him with managing his depression. Mm -hmm. All right. So we encourage you, if you're watching now, if you're watching later, pull out your Bibles because this is going to be an in-depth case study, right? We need to look at the details to really understand God's prescription, his truth prescriptions for, I'll reveal who this is, for Elijah, right? And I'll tell you this, some of you might be watching like, oh, I already know the story of Elijah. Some of you may not. But those of you who might already know, you don't know to the degree in which the Bible talks about it. And I say that with confidence because I had read the story so many times, and it is only until this time that I really recognize the depth. And I probably have not even, because all you and I both have probably not even scratched the surface. Mm. Like God has revealed things in His Word to help us in our practical daily living for our mental health well being. So pull out your Bibles, and I am absolutely stoked. I typically say that I'm excited. This time, I am stoked. No exaggeration. 
Is that extra excited? That's extra, extra, super, duper excited. Wow. That's not powerful. As a therapist, it is, it is so amazing to see how God has outlined these things way, 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 way before any research has. Mm. And this is not something that Chris and I were drawing, you know, we're taking text out of context. No, this is exactly what the Bible says. So I'm going to stop talking and let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm. So First Kings chapter 19. Do we want to go ahead and read? So why don't we start with kind of a general introduction of, you know, of who Elijah is, kind of like we're presenting a a case study. So when we present a case study, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what are the, the, the basic demographics of this person? What's their occupation? What's their age? Um, are they male or they female? So I mean, I don't know how many, already know the, the information about Elijah, but for those who don't know, Elijah is, in terms of his occupation or was, a prophet during the time of the 19th century. He was considered one of the most successful prophets other than Moses. And he first shows up in First Kings chapter 17. It's where he first shows up. And there's a lot of context to the story, but for the sake of time, we're not going to go completely all into it. What else would you add, Katie, in terms of demographics? He's a male, obviously. Yes. Demographics. What else would you add in terms of his demographics? So male, prophet, 9th century BC, right? This is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. He's actually not just any prophet. He's considered one of the most successful prophets. So if you're just joining us, we're in First Kings chapter 19. Um, so one of the most successful prophets, and I want to emphasize that because you might already start thinking, wow, one of the most successful prophets, one of the ones that used by God in so many great ways, and then later on in the Bible referenced again and again, and yet he suffered with depression. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't he be a little extra special that God would probably help him not have depression in the first place, right? Um, and then what's interesting is that we actually don't know much about Elijah until First Kings chapter 17. Not that we don't know much. We don't know anything about Elijah until First Kings chapter 17. All of a sudden, he shows up. And if you want to take a quick peek at First Kings chapter 17, um, Elijah just basically shows up and tells them that there's going to be a drought, right? Um, so you notice in verse one, it says, and Elijah, the Tishbite, so it kind of gives an introduction, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Whoa. That is like super confident. That is super bold. And the reason why we are emphasizing this is when we see later on, there's a change in Elijah. He's mm. super bold. He says, at my word. And that's the first introduction that we have to Elijah. Yes, and Katie, not only is he just super bold in his, the words that he chooses to use, but who is Ahab? Is Ahab just another person on the side of the road? No, Ahab is the king of Israel. He's reigning in Israel. And here comes this guy in authority to someone who is supposed to be in authority <laughs> and tells him what's about to happen. Right? So he's very bold and confident. 
Mm-hmm. And we see that later on in chapter 18, where he goes and basically commands to Ahab, like, get all of your prophets, the prophets of Baal, gather them to this mountain, right, to this mount, and let's have a showdown, like your gods versus my God. He orders that to King Ahab, and King Ahab obeys. Like, this is somebody that is extremely confident. We don't know anything about Elijah, just shows up, bold, confident, do this, King Ahab, at my word, there's going to be a drought. Very, very confident, lack of fear, lack of anxiety, lack of depression. And then what happens in chapter 18, Crystal? What's like this big event that happens? Towards which part? Well, well, what's what, the, the summary or what's the, the, the climax of chapter 18? In terms of the worship between and the altar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see here. Oh, yeah. In terms, okay. Well, you, I think you're best at giving a summary. So I, I would be tempted to read the verses. You can read a couple if you want. Yeah. Okay. So uh, starting in verse 30, well, actually 29. So it says here, when midday was passed, they prophesied into the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Then Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He put wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. So they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So here he is still commanding, right? Still (laughs) very bold and confident. So then all of a sudden, verse 35, the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. So skipping a little bit here, verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, I don't know if anyone else is kind of like, that's pretty incredible. (laughs) Imagine having to witness that. So when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So here's a a live demonstration to show them that their gods are not God and that there is only one God. And here, Elijah is orchestrating everything very boldly and very confidently. Yes, and verse 40 ends with another confident, bold statement. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So he then, like he, for uh, chapter 17, starts with a lot of boldness and he commands that there's going to be, you know, a drought. Mm -hmm. The drought happens. Then there's this showdown and says, your gods versus my God. He he speaks to God himself. God sends fire down. 
and then he commands for those prophets to be executed. Wow. A lot of boldness, a lot of confidence. So that's kind of a setup, right, for Elijah, right? He's a prophet, one of the most successful, what people think is one of the most successful, 9th century BC, and then very, very confident, very, very bold. Yeah, so it seems as though we have an idea of who is our patient. I want to be that bold to say that because <laughs> we're doing a case study, right? So I think we have an understanding. I know that if I were, if I was told about such a person through these stories and someone would ask me, oh, did is it possible for such a person to have depression? Most people would say no. Someone like that would never fall into depression. They're so confident. We have to remember that depression doesn't discriminate. We're going to talk a little bit about how depression can happen to anyone, but there are certain things that we can do to prevent us from falling into depression. Yes. And one of the added things that people might say, you know, that, oh, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen to Elijah is, well, he's so connected with God. Mm. We, we have this misperception and a very, very hurtful, I think, misperception that those who are connected with God, like if you're, if you're a Christian, you don't suffer from depression, anxiety, They're immune or difficulties. Yeah, you're immune. Exactly. Um, but we see that not only is he connected with God, I mean, he talked to God and God rained down fire from heaven, but he's also a prophet, like a leader. And then let's see what happens in chapter 19. Yes. And so continuing on with the case study, we just demonstrated and and highlighted the demographics of our patient. Now we're going to go looking more into what are the symptoms that this person is presenting with in order for us to provide a diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Want me to keep reading? Go for it. Yeah. Well, for the sake of time, we'll just highlight a couple of verses and some verses we might go into a little bit more depth, but yes. um, yeah, go for it. Kusal. Okay. Starting in verse one, chapter 19 and Ahab, told Jezebel, which was his wife, all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, which we just highlighted, right? We just read. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Someone's threatening the life of Elijah here. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So we're seeing some behaviors already existing, <laughs> popping up here. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an let's angel. Stop. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. Because yeah. um, I think there's, there's some things that we can analyze before we get into God's how God starts responding already. So what do we notice so far, Fusal, about maybe highlighting some of the depressive symptoms and whether or not he has some of these? Well, before we go into the depressive symptoms, we see a circumstance, a situation that's occurring, that then Elijah responds with certain symptoms, right? The Jezebel wants to kill him, and she's eager to kill him. And so in response, Elijah in verse 3, he arose and ran for his life. So this behavior tells me he fears, right? Mm -hmm. He's super fearful of his life. And I would first say, you know, that's 
that's pretty natural, right? That's a mm-hmm. natural response. Although someone might say also, well, God was just with you, right? Yeah. Would you be fearful of the woman, the queen of the prophets that showed that their God was not real, right? Their gods were not real. Yeah. And as a therapist, I would ask this person, Elijah, well, you seem so bold and confident in everything else you, sh- you shared with me. What happened now? What changed? Well, all of a sudden you're running for your life. What was that? Is this fear rational? Yeah. Is this fear rational? Exactly. So one of the things we see as I think most people, this cues them into depression. If any of the viewers want to type in, what do you think is in these verses that we just read, kind of the the biggest cue to, oh, I wonder if he's depressed. I think we we read it and we're like, okay, that's, you're going to say something yourself? Are you referring just to just verse three or three and four? What I'm saying is when we read this, these verses so far, um, what are the things that stand out to us the most that hmm, maybe he has depression, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for most of us, it's verse four. Mm-hmm. It says he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's, right? As well as him going to the wilderness, kind of. Uh, when it describes him sitting under a broom tree, it's kind of like this depressive scene, right? Kind of sulking and going under a tree. And this kind of reminds us of Jonah as well. But kind of this idea of, oh, I just want to die. So do you want to keep on going or do you want to highlight some of the, the symptoms, Grisol? I want to highlight some of the symptoms so we can start building our diagnosis here. Obviously, we've already shared that it's depression. But a lot of times people don't understand what are exactly the symptoms of depression. So as Katie shared in verse four, one more obvious than others would just be the desire to die, which is suicidal, right? It's pretty bold to ask God himself to take your life. Um, but here he he's very clear that he has had enough, which is something that I personally have heard from many of my depressed patients where they say, I've I'm over with this. I just want to escape. I'm done. I don't want to exist. This is too overwhelming for me. I can't take it anymore. Right? (laughs) Remember I I mentioned this to you, and uh, I think the SOS book for emotions talks about it too, that I can't stand itis. I I can't stand it. It's enough. Like, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed. It's in cognitive distortions. Yes. And then right after he asked God to take his life, he makes a statement that is a very clear indication of where he lies in terms of his self-worth and self-esteem. He says, for I am no better than my father's. Oftentimes people who struggle for, for depression, they don't think they have any value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so specifically the depressive symptom that goes along with that could be feelings of worthlessness, mm-hmm. right? Um, so definitely. One of the things, just to qu- quickly comment on the suicidal thoughts, um, it's really interesting because he's running away, fearful of being killed. And now he himself is asking to die. Mm, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the, sometimes, you know, the irrational aspect of suicidal thoughts. And I'm not saying this to dismiss anyone who has suicidal thoughts. What I'm saying is, Suicidal thoughts, if you think about when we experience them, 
It's not because we actually want to die. It's because we want to be rid of the pain. We want to escape the pain. We, we're so overwhelmed with the situation, with the fear, that we want uh, an exit and an escape. So he doesn't really want to die. He wants to be rid of the fear of being killed by Queen Jezebel. Hmm. That's very true, Katie. And, you know, it's in terms of suicidal thoughts, when you see that there are so many people that may be struggling in different parts of the world and they're suffering day to day in with regards to different types of pains, but there's this consistent desire to live. Right. And so it's definitely true what you're saying that it's innate in us to want to preserve life, to keep pushing on through life. So when we have that moment where there is suicidal thoughts, it's an escape rather than you saying to yourself, I just don't want to live. I really want to die. And I tell my, my clients, I say, if I could help you reduce the pain, would you want to live? I've never had anyone ever say no. No, the same here. Because it's about escaping the pain or the fear or the anxiety or whatever it may be, the situation, and not really wanting to die. And so we see that for, for Elijah here. He wants God to take his life, thinking that it's too much, right? Having feelings of worthlessness. Um, diminished interest. That's another key symptom. Diminished interest. He doesn't want to keep on going with his mission. He wants to flee from his mission. And we then later on see diminished interest in doing other things, right? Mm -hmm. So diminished interest, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of hopelessness, as well as having thoughts of suicide. Yeah, and, and the Bible's, you know, we don't want to read too much into it. There's another symptom of fatigue or loss of energy. Um, that might just be also related to um, when it says that he ran for his life. He is actually running a long distance here, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep reading, right? Verse 5? Yes. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Want me to keep reading? Should we just stop there? And verse 7 as well. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So, Crystal, how is this related? How does this give us insight into more depressive symptoms? Well, when it comes to depressive symptoms, there is typically, most oftentimes, a change in someone's appetite. and that can be either overeating or undereating. And in regards to here, he's being directed by an angel to eat. Come mm -hmm. on, get up and eat. So, I mean, maybe he was tired running, yes. But the fact that he was laying there under a broom tree, and I don't know if you want to go into understanding what is a broom tree, because um, we talked about that. Do we want to share that right now? Uh, we can understand that. Okay. There's not much shade under a broom tree. So <laughs> there he is. And the angel comes and tells him, well, reminds him, arise, get up and go eat. So that's one of the symptoms is a change in appetite. 
And we don't know for how much time he is laying down. I mean, the angel comes a second time and reminds him again, mm-hmm. rise and eat. So another symptom of depression is related to your sleep. Either you have insomnia, which is a lack of sleep, or hypersomnia. And part of that could also be like restlessness. Um, your quality of sleep is diminished. Um, well, for sure, sleep is compromised and changed when it comes to depression. And someone might say, oh, you guys are reading too much into this. But you notice that the Bible provides some detail to indicate that he had he was struggling with eating and sleeping, right? It's not just once that the angel comes, it's twice. So the angel is having to make sure that he's eating, right? There's a lack of appetite. And then the angel has to make sure that he's not continuing to sleep. There's an oversleeping here. There's a hypersomnia. Hypersomnia. So, and again, verse seven, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time. So definitely see the suicidal thoughts. We see the feelings of worthlessness. We see the diminished interest. We see the lack of appetite, hypersomnia, right? Um, the fatigue, loss of energy. That could be, again, due to a more physical component of a long journey. Um, and then overall, kind of a depressed mood, right? Mm-hmm. Let's continue because there's more symptoms coming up. So in verse 8, it says, He arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So he obeyed, right? And then in verse 9, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. So let's pause so that we could talk about the vulnerability factors. Because we're, we're going to okay. go into a little bit more about um, the, what made him vulnerable. So if we read too far ahead, then I think we'll I yeah, let's talk a little bit about. And I want to hear from you all, too, if you have any thoughts of what do you think made him vulnerable to depression? Right, Because it's really important. Not only is it important to know what we should do, but prevent what makes us more vulnerable to depression. So what are the things that made him vulnerable? or at a higher risk to depression. Just all any thoughts? Well, here he is. He's running for his life. Um, he's forgetting to eat, so the angel has to remind him to get up. So clearly he must be physically tired, exhausted. Yes, he's extremely exhausted. So a little bit of context. He ran nearly 20 miles to a place called Jezreel. And then after he heard the bad news, He then ran 80 extra more miles. Mercy, that's a lot. Like, of course he's physically tired. And what people don't recognize is that physical exhaustion is a huge risk factor for depression and other mental health um, disorders or illnesses. Mm -hmm. And if we don't recognize that, right, we live in a society that's so fast-paced that we have burnout, right? We overwork, we do other behaviors that makes us so susceptible to developing depression. 
I don't know how many times I've had um, pastors or businessmen or others, they have their life, they, they don't have a lot of risk factors, but the main risk factor for them is physical exhaustion, not taking care of their body. So, that, yeah, that's definitely one vulnerability risk factor for Elijah here mm-hmm. that led him to be more prone to depression. So what are some things that, you know, for our viewers, what are questions or things for them to reflect on um, in regards to their vulnerability for depression? Well, in terms of being physically tired, just adding on to what you said, Katie, to take the time to reflect on, and is my life too busy? Mm-hmm. Am I just doing my routine day to day, but not really taking time to pause and reflect and to have prayer and to have a connection with those around you and with yourself as well? There are a lot of times where we're so overworked, we don't even know who we are. Mm-hmm. So are you overworking? That's a question, an assessment question, right? How many hours of a day are you working? Um, you know, are you, how's your sleep? Like, are you overworking to the point where you're not, and not over, just overworking, but maybe even doing other things, keeping yourself so busy, right? I'm not just talking about a workspace. I'm talking about life in general, so busy and so rushed that you're not having regular meal times or adequate meals. It's not sleeping well or resting. Not So sleep is different than rest, right? Are you taking pauses throughout your day to recharge? Are you going to take something to yourself? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, if, just to reflect on what areas of your life are you exhausted in? And maybe that's where you can begin to just take time and moments to be still and um, to start helping to relieve that exhaustion. Because the truth is, we don't fall into depression. I'm not saying that if you're physically tired, you're going to become depressed. Okay, so don't get me wrong. But we don't just fall into depression from one day or another. There are different vulnerability factors, risk factors that we don't take care of to prevent depression. And the next thing you know, we start suffering. And so if you are exhausted, which I know I at times am guilty of that, I have to remind myself to, okay, Chriselle, relax, <laughs> calm down. And sometimes I make things in my life a little bit more important. And I say important because it's not that important to the point that I push myself to being physically tired. It's not that my circumstances are overwhelming. I made them overwhelming for me. So that's one vulnerability factor, right? And like you just mentioned, Chriselle, doesn't mean that it's a direct cause of depression, but it can lead to depression. The mm-hmm. second one is Elijah is emotionally tired. Wait, what? You know, where did I get that from? Or where did we get that from, Chriselle? Oh, well, where he says, take my life. Mm-hmm. And his self-esteem is very low. Mm-hmm. He's tired emotionally. And he's tired because there's this huge contrast. Like he just had this really high moment. Imagine if, imagine for you, um, I don't know what the, what the equivalent would be for you, but just this huge accomplishment in your life. Huge. And you're like, oh, I'm doing so well. And then all of a sudden this stark contrast of, oh, now this huge fear in my life. And I think that, you know, that huge contrast for him is pretty devastating. Like you just go from the spiritual high to this real low, low. And so he's emotionally tired in the sense of that contrast. And he's allowing for his emotions to be dependent on circumstances. Mm. 
I think we should just pause there for a second and talk about that because how many of us, our emotions are like this because of our circumstances? Oh, my life is going well. I'm happy. Oh, my life is not going well. I'm depressed. And that can even translate into your spiritual walk. If I'm not doing well, then that means my relationship with God is not good. If I'm doing well, my relationship with God is amazing. And that's very tied to what we call, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, um, emotional reasoning. Oh, I, I feel something, therefore it must be my reality. If I feel depressed, therefore I am depressed, right? Because you're, you're making it dependent on either circumstances or on how I feel versus can I change how I feel by doing different behaviors? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that your emotions cannot be controlled, that they are just something that you have to deal with because it's part of who you are. But thank God that that's not true. Another component to these highs and lows is often we have this very all or nothing thinking, right? Either I'm on cloud nine and I'm doing well, or I'm a complete failure. And we see that for Elijah. He's all of a sudden like, oh, it's a complete bust, right? It's kind of the depths, you know, woe, woe is me. Um, And that can be a vulnerability factor. If you have that type of mindset, then you're going to be more vulnerable to developing depression because there will be ups and downs in your life, no matter what. Like circumstances, we live in an imperfect world. So you can't allow for your emotions to be dependent on circumstances because you'll have a high and you have a low and that low is going to be real low. Yes. And Katie, as you're speaking, I'm just clearly seeing this triangle. Once again, we're recognizing in the story that we're highlighting behaviors. Yes. But that thoughts that he's having, emotions that he's experiencing are all leading him to behave a certain way. Just to, just to remind us that that's a triangle that's going on there. So the behaviors is like the physical exhaustion. He's, he's running. He's exhausted. He's not eating. He's um, oversleeping. And he's then isolating into a cave. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's another vulnerability factor. So let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. How's isolation a vulnerability or risk factor? Oh, it's huge. <sighs> I say it's huge because I think oftentimes people think, Oh, you know, it's okay to be by yourself. I'm more introverted. I like, I, my, I, a lot of my patients have called it their sanctuary to be by themselves. If I'm around people, then I'm overwhelmed with the way they think about me and that makes me more depressed. And so they're thinking isolation is a healthy thing. Isolation is not. And going back to our icebreaker question, we were asking, what do you think is the most effective behavior to help reduce depression? And my personal response was, to be able to have social support, but more importantly, to be socially integrated. Because I've noticed that the moment that patients remove themselves from isolation, little by little, their depression starts to be alleviated. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of isolation in itself, it's not constructive. Mm -hmm. It's destructive. Although some people will say, oh, it's, it's good for me. I like it. No. Now, there's a difference between having time to recharge by yourself I'm glad you brought that up. So I was like, being, I need that. Yes, and being isolated. Isolated has a component of feeling lonely, feeling as though there's no one there for you. So it can make sense why someone can get to the point of feeling hopeless and worthless. If I'm around no one, then that kind of stays with the whole thought process of I have no value, no one cares about me, there's no hope, no one's around me, and it keeps you staying in that depressive cave. Yeah, and, and one of the key factors, differences between isolation and recharging, 
mm-hmm. is the amount of time that you stay in that space. Yeah. Recharging is a quick, right? I need to just recharge enough to engage again. Isolation is I don't want to engage at all. And we'll see this. Let's highlight that again because I think we may have missed it. If you notice, let's see in verse three. So he runs for his life, right? It says, and when he saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And here's a detail we just, whoop, we just read right over and left his servant there. He is very intentional about isolating here. He's running away from all the people, the public in general, but then even his servant, he leaves him there and goes by himself into the wilderness, verse four. So isolation at its max here. He leaves his servant, the one person that's always with him, and he leaves, he goes into the wilderness, which if you've been in wilderness, if you've been in the desert, that's like the symbol of complete isolation and despair. And someone may be watching thinking, well, I don't go to my room by myself. I don't isolate. There's also isolation where you may be in a group of many. You are continuing to go into social outings, but you're not interacting with people. You don't have deep relationships with people. And Katie, can you share those three components that you talked about? Friendimacy? I think those are really key. Um, A good resource. Um, We're not advertising or we're not paid by this at all, but there's a TED Talk on YouTube called Shasta Friendimacy by Shasta Nelson. And basically it talks about the three main components that is needed for good, healthy relationships. And that's positivity, right? Having positive interactions with an individual. But then you also need consistency, right? Ongoing um, connections. And then you need vulnerability. So often we may have, you know, positivity, some interactions, especially, oh, on, on social media, I have my interactions. But we don't have maybe consistency or vulnerability, right? You need all three components. Yes. And so if you don't have those components in your friendships, it's very easy to still feel lonely. Although you have many people around you, you're still technically isolated from others. Yes. And then the running away is also um, another vulnerability factor, Chriselle. Which which one is that? Because it's something, again, oh, running away. Okay. Um, but how does that make you vulnerable to depression? That's what, what do we mean by that being a vulnerability factor? Fear or avoidance. I mean, avoidance, I would say, is the bigger piece. Uh, fear leads to avoidance. But yes, avoidance. I think sometimes we are so good at justifying things in our head and thinking we're not avoiding things. It's healthier for me to be away from that. But a lot, all research shows that to avoid your problems perpetuates more problems. Yes, and actually adds strength to the problem. It grows the problem. So I tell people, for example, with OCD, one of the main things that we that it kind of perpetuates, as you mentioned, the problem is um, the compulsions, right? Or things to like, if I'm afraid that if I touch a, a doorknob that I'll, you know, contract a virus, very applicable for today. Um, I'm going to avoid that doorknob, avoid, avoid, avoid. The more that I avoid, it strengthens the belief that that is something to be fearful of. If I am fearful of planes and I don't fly, I don't, I don't, I don't fly, I'm avoiding it. It's strengthening the belief and it's making it more powerful. So when we try to avoid, don't think about the white elephant or the pink elephant, don't think about it, don't think about it. 
it actually grows the problem. Yes. And so you're talking about the thought process, right? Mm-hmm. It, it confirms that negative bias that you have. And at the same time, it increases the intensity of the experienced emotion, which at this point would be fear. And so as your fear starts to increase and your thought process is not the healthiest, what's going to happen to your behaviors? And it continue to avoid, continue to avoid. Yes. Well, and, and that's really that behavior avoidance is what creates the thoughts and the feelings, right? That's so it's this perpetual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, that he was running away from his problems instead of facing his problems. Mm-hmm. So yes, avoidance, huge piece. And so it's just in terms of a reflective question, are there things in your life that you're avoiding thinking that it's helping you, but really is just making life a little bit more stressful? And hopefully not, but maybe leading you down that spiral into depression. Yeah. So just as we summarize some of these vulnerability factors, reflect for yourself. Are there any of these things that you're engaging in that may make your um, you more vulnerable or may deepen your current depression, right? So physical exhaustion. Are you overworking? Are you not recharging? Are you not taking care of your physical body, right? Emotional exhaustion. Are you not taking care of your emotions? Are you um, allowing your emotions to just be dependent on the circumstances? And then isolation. Are you isolating, right? It's okay to recharge. But are you disconnecting from people, not investing in connection and social support? And lastly, are you engaging in avoidance, running away from your problems, right? Even suicide thoughts are an escape. It's, just, it's an avoidance. Instead of addressing the things in your life, you want to just go to this place in your mind where you don't exist anymore. So if you're engaging in those things, right, um, that can make you more vulnerable to the various symptoms that we described previously. But let's talk about treatment, right? We talked about, um, we talked about kind of the demographics, right? We talked about uh, diagnosis. We talked about vulnerability or risk factors. But let's talk about treatment and what God prescribed to Elijah. And some of us may be like, I already know. I read the story. But there are more things than what we recognize. Yes, and there's so... For those who don't remember, Jesus is the best prescriber, right? He's the therapist. And here is the therapist who prescribes the treatment. So what is the therapist, Jesus, God, prescribing to Elijah? Right, Katie? So take some notes because if it's coming from the best prescriber ever, right, these things are going to be extremely important. Yes. And so I'm going to go back to verse 9 because that's where the Lord comes in and directly begins to speak to Elijah. Well, let's... let's Priscilla, let's highlight the ones already that you mentioned. So, in, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, let's highlight those, and then we will go into more um, the direct communication. Exactly. Okay. So, what are some that we already highlighted, Priscilla? If you maybe want to reread verses five, six, and seven. I mean, I don't think we have to reread them because we highlighted them and emphasized them. Um, in, in terms of thinking of treatment as a therapist, I'm thinking, what are the ways that the therapist intervened? What are the interventions? Mm-hmm. And an intervention that I see here, starting in verse five, is that an angel is sent to touch Elijah mm-hmm. and to tell him, arise and eat. So what's going on there, Katie? What's that intervention? So most of us, the ones that we highlight and recognize is, okay, make sure he slept. Right? A part of his depression recovery program 
was sleepy, right? But not oversleeping. We also see, okay, he ate, right? And what did he eat specifically? Cake baked on coals, simple, holistic foods, right? We also see that he drank. He drank what? Water. Is that he drank from the brook, right? Or I think that's... No, it just says water. From the brook is from the previous From the previous chapter, yes. So he drank water, right? The importance of water. Our brain is 80% water. And so when we are dehydrated, it impacts our brain and cognitive function. So water, food, right, sleep, those are key, key factors. But one of the things that we often miss is what you highlighted, Crystal, and you said, and we can see that it happens twice. So it's really important. It's not just um, sleeping eating and drinking but consistent right that's why we put depression in lifestyle it's not just once okay you're cured no you have to do it again and again an angel touched elijah could have an angel could have just said hey elijah wake up but no he touched why is that so important Crystal? and i know you like to talk about touch i like touch because once again it's part of the social interactive piece um Touch is huge. I mean, where do I even begin, honestly? Because there's so many ways that we can experience touch, uh, whether that be from one person to another, like a hug. There's a lot of research that says hugs can help lower depression because of just having a hug with someone releases a hormone called oxytocin, which they often call the love hormone or the cuddling hormone. Oxytocin is, plays also a huge piece when it comes to breastfeeding. When it comes to bonding with your children, mm-hmm. um, oxytocin is also released amazingly through the touch of animals. So there's a reason why they have emotional support dogs. They have equestrial therapy with horses is because that touch component is very significant. There's a lot of research behind it. Um, and what's most interesting, I'm just going to put this out there is that oftentimes when it comes to equestrial therapy, those children who have gone through significant trauma, like significant trauma, that has been proven to be one of the most helpful treatments for them. Mm-hmm. Touching and grooming and just spending time with a horse. And so we know that that in itself tells us that touch is huge. Yes. And this is particularly important. You, you mentioned this, you know, um, in the before just you and I. Um, mm-hmm. that touch actually calms the nervous system, right? When we're stressed, when we're depressed, it calms our whole system down. And so here, what I can see is, you know, yeah, he sleeps a little bit, starts taking care of the physical exhaustion, but the angel wakes him up, touches him, right? It's kind of soothing him. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of being touched in such a, a caring way, right? Um, my mother, I remember when I was going through a stressful time, she just looked at me and then she just grabbed my hand, right? And I started bawling and crying. Oh, no, that's the moment and, where everything melts. <laughs> yes, but it's this healing aspect of touch, right? So not just sleep, not just eating, not just drinking, but also touch. Yeah, touch is huge. I'm thinking of other examples, but let's keep going. I, like you said, I could talk about this because touch is, is amazing how God created us. Yes. And so we see that at then verse eight, we see another 
behavior. He arose and ate and drank. So in terms of running away, are you talking about the opposite of avoidance? Well, several things here, right? The rose, we see that arise, arise, arise. There's movement. There's exercise. There's getting him up. That's another part of depression. That's, I mentioned this earlier, but exercise is so important for depression. A lot of people think I need to wait till I feel I have the energy to exercise, but exercise gives you more energy. And if depression, one of the key symptoms is fatigue or loss of energy, you need to arise, get out of your bed. A lot of people take naps, they oversleep, they don't want to get out of bed, they don't want to go to the store. Arise, get up, right? Get up. And then it says, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. Wow, that's some powerful food. Powerful food. And also it, it highlights one thing that's also been shown in research to be very helpful as well. It's fasting. Mm. Fasting has been shown to be helpful for our mental health um, and for our mental clarity as well. We're not going to go into that too much, but it's interesting. These different behaviors that the Bible highlights. So far, we have what for self? Touch, exercise, sleep, diet. Water and fasting. Water and fasting. Well, I thought of water as diet. But yes, water is a a component in itself, right? Yes. (laughs) And fasting, yes. And so he starts this program, right? He starts this depression um, recovery program. And then what do we notice in verse 9? Is is Elijah completely healed? I I think that's a good point too, right? Uh, Oh, 40 days, 40 nights. Oh, why hasn't God healed me of my depression? Mm. He didn't just, okay, well, after one, eat this and magic pill and you're, you're healed. No, this is a process. Mm-hmm. And what happens? Does, a good point. does Elijah immediately respond and does everything goes back to his mission and everything's, does the story end there? What is no. he? He sounds like he's hiding. Here, God it's, is talking to him. Well, not quite yet. God is not talking to him. He's having interaction of an intervention from God, which is the angel. And then he goes into a cave. Yes. He spends a night there. So he didn't just go there for a brief moment. He spends a night there. And then the Lord came to him and then says to him, Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Which, by the way, some people believe that this angel is actually Jesus himself. And there are many instances throughout the Bible where it talks about angel, kind of capital A. And, um, or the angel of the Lord, and it's believed to be Jesus himself. So mm-hmm. Jesus coming to touch him. And then, so why, you know, we talked about this last episode of how it's important to gauge in healthy behaviors, but it's also important to reduce unhealthy behaviors. And why does it, the Bible highlight that he went into a cave? What do you mean? Like, as in, why is he hiding? Yes, or or what is the Bible trying to, it says, what are you doing here, right? That's highlighting it's an unhealthy behavior. God is like, I'm trying to get you better. And here you go, going into a cave. What does a cave symbolize? Darkness. Darkness, isolation, Mm -hmm. 
hiding, running away, oh, all these things we already talked about, avoidance. Mm-hmm. What are your caves? What are you, you know, where are you hiding? So what are some examples of modern day caves? Well, I've heard people talk about, oh, it's so important to do self-care. That's true. Don't get me wrong. But they um, don't, they have a misunderstanding of what self-care is. When I'll ask them, well, what do you do to, to engage in self-care? They'll say, well, you know, I'll Netflix binge. Um, I'll order all my favorite food from takeout. Okay. Is that really self-care or is, is that you avoiding having self-reflection of really what's leading to you to need to have self-care? So those are some, I mean, there are many other ways. Shopping is an avoidance as well. Um, people sometimes eat high sugar diets or processed food because they feel something emotionally and so they avoid processing that and they consume something in their diet that helps them well momentarily changes the way that they feel gives them some pleasure for that moment and then on to the next but they never really took the time to process what's going on with them yes and you know what's so interesting is um i've i've known a lot of therapists that because they don't have the counsel of the bible they actually encourage a lot of distraction that's the word distraction 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 and i was actually teaching a um, well leading out a group therapy class and there's a whole page of all these self-care activities to distract 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 and i said you know these are all great things to do in the moment right when your limbic system your emotions are firing and you need something to bring yourself back down you can do it momentarily right but you can't do that as a way to avoid your problems and never come back to your problems. Here we see Elijah's running to the cave to hide. He doesn't want to go back. This isn't a temporary recharge. He's already recharged. But instead of recharging and going back to his mission, he continues to hide. So are you, you know, briefly watching a video to you know calm down? Or are you doing a Netflix binge, right? Are you briefly doing, you know, a you're going shopping to kind of just relieve a brief amount of stress or are you shopping and shopping and trying to fill that void with shopping right are you eating sugar once in a while are you eating sugar all the time as a way to deal with your problems right yes and katie and someone may be watching thinking well i no no i'm not shopping no not netflix you know what sometimes we are workaholics we get so consumed in our jobs and we say, well, you know, that's what keeps me going. But the moment that you remove the job, all of a sudden, you're like, I'm overwhelmed emotionally. Where, where is this all coming from? And I say that because I run a group for chronic pain patients for workers' comp cases. And oftentimes when they no longer have that job, they feel empty. And all of a sudden, this whole, all the problems that they've avoided surface. Mm-hmm. And they're wondering, what's going on? I've never experienced anxiety. I've never experienced depression. Well, you've avoided it for all those years thinking you were okay, but you're avoiding it with work. You're avoiding it with the concept of, I would rather help others than help myself yes. as well. Which is also related to, you could do good things, but with the purpose of avoidance and that's not healthy. So even for example, if you're in ministry or doing outreach or doing projects for other people, mm-hmm. 
with the intention of running away from your own problems. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So we see he goes into a cave and God is very, you know, not only can we learn things about us as patients, but we can also learn as therapists. If anyone's going to be watching this and they're a therapist or they're a clinician or provider, the best effective tools to use are questions. God, you see this in Jesus' life, his whole ministry, but God uses questions. He doesn't say, you know, um, just rebuke him and says, you know, uh, go back right away. He doesn't command him to do anything. He asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And what's funny? Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting, Crystal, about his response? Well, he talks about, I've been very zealous. I've been doing my purpose. But then all of a sudden, they want to come and they want to take, they want to take my life. I'm all alone. Now, the question is, is that response, is that rational? Is there complete truth behind what he's saying? Yes. You know, and I realize we haven't covered the, the, the quick fact about the broom tree. And so it's kind of related to the cave. But the broom tree, if you do some research on broom tree, just a quick little note. Whenever you're doing a Bible study and there's a really specific word or there's a specific description, there's a reason for it. The Bible, when I was like, oh, maybe there's a tree. Ooh. Oh, why, why is it telling me there's a broom tree? So a broom tree is, is, can actually be more like a bush, which means that there's actually very little shape. So it's really hard. You kind of have to crouch under. And this is the idea that God didn't want um, Elijah to be there for very long, right? It's, okay, you know, barely enough shade in, to recharge and then keep on going. Mm-hmm. If you look at in the Bible, there's actually several um, times in which it's referenced. Um, it's referenced in Job. And Job describes this tree as a place of desolation, ruin, abandonment. Um, when we see it in Genesis chapter 21, also when it comes to um, Ishmael and his mother, um, they go. And it's interesting because it says that she placed her son under a broom tree to die. And so this symbol, the broom tree symbolizes despair, death, right, in this wilderness. But God uses this, right, just enough for him to recharge to continue moving forward just to get enough relief to move on, right? So I I like this. It says, under the shade of that solitary broom tree, God's messengers provided Elijah nourishment and Elijah was able to sleep and regain his strength, right? Sometimes there's places that we go, this is the idea of the distraction versus the complete isolation. We are supposed to go under the broom tree just enough to recharge but we're not supposed to be going inside a cave. So back to verse 10. So we see this again later on in verses 13 and 14. So it's interesting. The angel touches him twice, and then God asks him twice, what are you doing here? And But this time we see that it says in verse 13, God asks him, what are you doing here? And in verse 13, he comes out of the cave, but then where does he go? Well, first, another behavior is that he wraps his face in his mantle. And then he goes and he stands at the entrance of the cave. So he doesn't even really come out. He's just kind of like, hello, I'm 
<laughs> and so we see God also, another intervention here is light therapy. The importance of coming out of the darkness and into the light. Vitamin D, and not just in relation to COVID, vitamin D is very, very important and crucial for our mental health well-being. So making sure that if you're in your room all day or indoors all day, getting outside, outside in nature with light, getting healthy um, vitamin D and exposure to light. There's also other forms of getting light therapy. Um, there's certain kind of glasses that you can use um, for those things, but it's important to get light. What else, Crystal, do we see here in these verses? So in verse 14, once again, after God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. Elijah responds saying, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I am alone and left and they seek to take my life. So does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Exactly the same as before. Interesting. Yeah. It's like he's fixated with this. Like, it's interesting. God himself is asking you the same question. And he's probably asking the question because you haven't really answered it. (laughs) And here you come and you answer with the same, you have the same response. And and that tells me that when you have the same exact response, you've probably ruminated on the spot, right? You've rehearsed it. You've you have a narrative about it. And so he's really fixated in these negative thoughts, right? Saying basically blame on other people and like and kind of like I'm so much better. I've been zealous. Like it's unfair. That's a key thing to depression. Focus on self. It's so unfair. It's so unjust. Why me? And we compare to other people. We look at other people and say, why aren't they this way? Or why are they happy? I'm all alone. And those are very distorted, untrue thoughts. Yes. And I those, alone and left. Yes, Katie. For those who are curious, we, like I mentioned earlier, we are going to eventually be talking about unhealthy thoughts. And so the ones that Katie is highlighting our personalization and blame. And the reason why it's so dangerous to engage in those and the connection they have with depression is if you are continually pointing the finger to others saying, it's their fault. It's they're the ones who are seeking my life and I'm all alone. You never have the opportunity, the window to find the solution to get out of depression because there's always an excuse. Exactly. Because you're distorting the truth, right? We're talking about truth prescriptions, but you're distorting the truth. So how could you ever be depression free? If you're constantly not focusing on the truth and we see that God, so God's treatment so far has been a lot of behaviors, but in addressing the I alone and left verse 18, God directly (laughs) challenges that. He says, you know, I've reserved 7,000. Wow. What a distortion to say I alone and left. And there's 7,000 and saying, I am all alone. Nobody knows how I feel. Nobody's there to help me. It's a distortion. You're not all alone, right? God will send an angel. God will send people in your life. God will be there. He himself is always there. So you can never be alone. But he says, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him, right? So God then challenges his distorted thoughts, his negative thoughts. 
Yes. And Katie, I want to go back to verse 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, let me read it and then I will share the comment. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So here God is intervening and telling him to, to engage in a behavior. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And I'm bringing that up because I think oftentimes I've heard from many of my patients who have struggled with depression and those who are Christian, who have faith in God, they make comments such as, God's not present. Yes. Uh, my depression has to go from, from this to this. What's going on? Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't hear me. And unfortunately, sometimes it gets to the point where you even have complete lack of faith. You start to, to doubt God. You start to doubt his existence. You start to doubt his love for you. And I hope this, this gives you some hope because sometimes we may be thinking distortedly, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And so that's why it's so important when we get to the part of the triangle, which are thoughts, to really check in with yourself and be completely honest. Are there thoughts that I have that are unhealthy to have? Are they rational? Because if they're not, it's time to change them. And here, clearly, sometimes we have this concept that either God has to help me completely this way or God's not present. And that's not true. So if you think about it, this is really the climax of God's interventions for his depression. And what you're highlighting for Saul is, you know, it doesn't just say that God shows up with a still small voice. It gives you a lot of details. It says, you know, there's an earthquake. He's not an earthquake. There's a fire. He's not in the fire. And if you think about what it's highlighting, is it's highlighting these very dramatic scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's these expectations that we have that God will show up in a dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, why why Elijah's depression was so strong was he just saw God show up in a dramatic way in chapter 18. And so he let his emotions be inflated by circumstance. And God is saying, I want your faith to be constant. I want your your relationship with me to not depend on the ups or downs. Okay, up. Oh, I trust you, God. Now all of a sudden she wants my life. Jezebel wants my life and I'm depressed. He's saying, I, oh, there's an earthquake. There's a fire. I'm not there. I'm not going to, I don't show up all the time in the same ways. I want your emotions, your mood to be dependent on me. And I love that he shows up with a still, small voice. One very applicable question would be, are you slowing down enough? Are you quiet enough to hear his voice? You say again, like you mentioned for self, Oh, God's not there. God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God doesn't heal my depression. Why doesn't he heal my depression? Are you taking even time, right, to be able? Are you hiding in your cave or are you coming out, right? God is trying to speak to you. Are you, can you even listen? Are you opening up your word to hear him? That, that's really the way that God speaks to us, the main way, as well as nature and people. And Katie, sometimes we may hear his voice, but we choose not to listen. Because if we look in verse 15, God then responds by asking him to go directly into engaging in a behavior. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when we have depression and our therapist may tell us, you know, I want you to engage in these certain behaviors. I want you to do this. Oh, but I'm tired. 
oh, and I'm not doing this to ridicule those who have depression, but that is really something that is difficult. But remind yourself that if you don't get up or rise and engage in changing a behavior, you're going to continue to linger in that depression. And that's why God's best recipe, the quickest way, as we said, behaviors, go, return your way. Now, Katie, tell us really briefly as we come to a closing, right? Um, what is so key about this behavior as a prescriber? What's so key about this behavior? So we see that the climax of these behaviors is connection with God and returning to a purpose in life. He says, go return your way. And then he gives them very specific instructions. Go anoint Hazael, the king of king over Syria, anoint Jehu as well, and go also then get Elisha. Um, and you shall know him as a prophet in your place. He gives very specific instructions of go and return to your mission and purpose as a prophet. Mm. So connect with me as you connect with me, as you heard that still voice. Now I ask you to continue. Take your eyes off of yourself. Do you notice how it's not even talking about the, the threat of Jezebel anymore? Take your mind off of all your fears, all your anxieties, all your depressions, and focus on me and focus on the purpose. There's secular research that shows, right, the importance of a meaning, having a meaning and purpose in life. I see with my clients, you can do all these behaviors, you can change your thoughts, but if you have no reason to do that, if you have no motivation, you have no meaning or purpose that grounds you, it's useless. And, you know, I really struggle. And so if you're not Christian, if you don't, you're not a believer, I tell my clients who are not believers, you know, what's like, you know, we need something higher and bigger than ourselves. We're made for that, right? And so if you don't have that, if you don't have a sense of purpose or meaning bigger than yourself, then it's almost impossible to live depression-free. That's Katie, you nailed it on the point. I don't have anything to add to that because the truth is there are surface problems someone may have that can lead them into depression. But usually there is a deeper rooted problem. And most oftentimes, whether it be depression, anxiety, and other struggles in life, I personally as a therapist have noticed that the deeper issue is that lack of purpose. And most importantly, is a lack of connection to the truth. And we know that the truth is whom? Where is that found? In God. In God. Mm-hmm. And so I pray that this story, this episode has been a blessing for you. It's been a I blessing. Mean, so what? We're I'm not saying yet. God then also gives him referrals. Oh, you're right. We can't miss that point. <laughs> he connects him with Elisha. Yes. And that's so powerful because God, yes, he says he's enough. But he also says, no, you still need to get connected with people here on earth. And what you see from then on is Elisha and Elijah come together and they do ministry together. Yes. It's not just Elisha replaces him immediately. And that's really important because remember Elijah's original thought? I'm all alone. And God gives him somebody. God will provide your needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your social needs, your spiritual needs all of your needs. And, Chriselle, 
What was his prognosis? What was Elijah's final prognosis we see later in 2 Kings chapter 2? Something I think all of us are eager to experience. But his prognosis was definitely good, perfect. By perfect, I mean he went to heaven on a chariot of fire. Eternal life was rewarded to him. Which tells me if you're struggling with depression, right, you're in good company. Elijah struggled with depression. And if you follow these steps, these prescriptions that God has given you, you too could be depression-free and have the best prognosis, right? But what's so important is connecting to God, finding your meaning and purpose and fulfilling that here on earth, which then draws us to what's most important, not just our mental health, not just our earthly life, but an eternal life. Amen. So yeah, as I was saying, I pray that this has been a blessing. Uh, it's been a blessing for me. Yes, I studied it. Katie and I studied this, but just to sit here with you, Katie, and to, to be able to share this with others, it's been a blessing for me, for sure. Yes, for me too. It's, you know, if we only follow this more, right, and, and learn from God's word, it's so more, so much more practical than what we recognize. Yes. And so if you struggle with depression, I hope you realize that there's nothing wrong with you. You're struggling. And that struggle is real to so many of us, even Elijah himself. And his prognosis was eternal life. So don't feel that there's there's no hope, that you have no worth, because clearly this story in itself shows that God cares and he listens. Um, I pray that you may be motivated <laughs> to be able to get up and do something to change your circumstance do something to change something in your environment sometimes it's not necessarily something you can do, change directly and eventually we're going to go into how you can have a different thought process right katie because there's some circumstances we can't directly change but we can change the way that we view that circumstance is there any other comment katie you'd like to share no, I think what we can do is um, we can uh, have a closing prayer, then talk about our true prescription for the next few weeks. Okay, do you mind closing us out in prayer? Of course, yes, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you so much for how beautiful your word is. And God, not just beautiful in things that we read and it's nice to our listening ears, but it's also um, wonderful for our heart and for our minds, Lord, because you desire to give us the tools, the truth prescriptions to fully recover, God. You're not just interested in, in temporary benefits, but, Lord, for uh, eternal benefits. And so, Lord, I just pray that, you know, those watching today and in the future, God, that they may be able to put these things to practice, God, that you may give them the energy. Elijah didn't even have the energy to do these things by himself. So I pray that you may go to them, Lord, encourage them to eat, to sleep, to drink, and most importantly, Lord, to connect with you, that you are the source of life. And so, Lord, may we connect more and more with you, we pray. And Lord, I pray that everyone who watches this and implements these things may live depression free. Lord, for your honor and glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But before we close out, we got to leave you with your truth prescription, right, Katie? Yes. So here we have it. Number one, reflect on what you, your vulnerability risk factors and address them and prevent them. So don't just reflect, 
address and prevent them because avoidance is a no no. <laughs> Number two, engage in one behavior identified in the story, right? And number three, refocus from fear to faith. Yes. And we had a quick comment in the chat that we didn't realize. It says, open the windows, the doors for light and vitamin D and air too. Yeah, that's one that we forgot to mention. Fresh air coming out of the cave and into fresh air. Definitely. Yes. So we will see all of you in two weeks. I don't know about you, but I'm excited because things are getting juicy. <laughs> Have a blessed evening. Bye, everyone. And don't forget, Chriselle. Don't forget. Yes, about your daily dosage of the truth. Because you know the truth and the truth sets you free. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.